Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. All right, Lord, we thank you, God, for our time. We pray, God, that you would help us to receive the word that is able to save our souls and give us an inheritance among all those who are justified. Help us to continue our journey in the book of Joshua, to remember what we've already heard in the past few weeks, and to remember where you're taking us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so happy Father's Day to all the fathers, and most importantly, even if, as was already mentioned, if you didn't have a father or an exemplary relationship with him, make sure you know the Father in heaven loves you, and we, as fathers, love you, and we're together. We're one family, right? We're not an organization. We're a family. That's what Resurrection Church is. We're a family of families. We use organization as a tool, but at the end of the day, we're a family, not an institution. So it's important for you to know that. So we're all, whatever you lack, we have strength for. Whatever we lack, you have strength for. So we all come together for that reason. We're up to Joshua chapter 13. And um, just want to make sure we remember what was already talked about. Michael, Pastor Michael, reminded me I haven't preached here uh, for for a few months, even though I've been here. And uh, what amazing series so far and incredible teaching that we've received from various leaders on our preaching team. So I thank God that even though I haven't preached here since, uh, I think it was Resurrection Sunday, uh, we have an incredible team, and it's just been amazing. So for hundreds of years, at this point, Israel has been waiting for this moment. They have a homecoming. They want to come into the inheritance that God told them about. All the way in Genesis, we see God promised Abraham that his seed would inherit the land. And now it's about to take place. Amazing. Abraham didn't see it. Isaac didn't see it. Jacob didn't see it. Joseph didn't see it. It wasn't until 430 years after Abraham received the promise that he saw his children come into the promised land. And that's an important thing to realize is that in the Jewish mindset, which I really admire, they always view their present based on their past. So your past, your present, and your future is all connected together. So even though God promised Abraham uh, that his seed would come into the promised land, Abraham didn't get upset and say, oh man, that's not a good word, I'm not going to see it. Well, he rejoiced because it was his seed, and they never disconnected themselves from their fathers and mothers, from what was done in the past. 
And so this is an important thing to understand as we try to build a model family. And so the other thing we have to try to address is there was devastation already through Moses and Joshua. Uh, they tackled and destroyed certain cities and people were killed and there was a lot of destruction that took place. Um, and this is not the easiest thing to understand, but we have to realize that uh, Israel had to come into a promised land that God, who is sovereign, he could do whatever he wants, and for his reasons that we may not fully understand this side of heaven, he displaced other people so that they could come in. Um, and we see that throughout history. People displace other people and a lot of times there are biblical reasons for it that wouldn't be popular today. And in those days, um, for example, there was um, a goddess that they worshipped in Canaan and involved in, their involved in their religion, involved in what they did in their temples. There would be uh, a lot of sexual activity sacred prostitutes used by both men and women during the time of worship. But not only that, and this is horrific to even say that, but they literally would take their firstborn and sacrifice it in the fire. Um, some of their gods, like Molech, they would just sacrifice their children so that they could be blessed. Um, and so there was child sacrifice. There were just a lot of other things going on that was so terrible that Israel could not coexist with these people. And God actually told Abraham in Genesis 15 that he was going to wait until the sin of the Amorites reached its maximum point before he would displace them. In other words, he gave them 430 years to repent, to change. There were prophets, there were people that went to all these nations and they never repented. And so God said, I'm waiting till their fullness of sin, till the cup comes to the fullness, then I'm going to act. In Leviticus chapter 18, Moses told the people of Israel, you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, meaning that sexual cult worship, children sacrificed. There was a lot of necromancy, uh, divination, conjuring up the dead, black magic, satanic worship. There was just so much stuff going on. There might have even been cannibalism in some places. So he said, you should not do these abominations, either the native or the stranger who lives among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Imagine the ground itself was unclean. Lest the land spit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. And so what Moses was teaching them through God is that nations actually disinherit themselves because of their wickedness and their abomination. Uh, we see that in Sodom and Gomorrah. The ground cried out to God before he came and delivered judgment. Um, we see that throughout scripture and uh, we find in even history we could find 
that people disinherit themselves because of abominable practices um, that God just can't take it anymore. Unfortunately, I pray that the United States isn't coming to that place with what we celebrate. And uh, since 1973, there's been 65 million legal abortions and things of that nature that remind us of some of the things that were going on in Canaan. And that's why we need to pray for our nation. Um, we also have to understand they were setting up a righteous nation so that this nation could be a model to other nations. And this is why they built their nation's laws on what's called the Ten Commandments. I'm sure most of you have heard of the Ten Commandments. And all of their laws were taken from one of the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments became categories, and each commandment had civil laws attached to it. So there were Ten Commandments and 613 civic laws that applied the Ten Commandments in their context and culture. And so they were setting up a model nation for how God will bless a people based on his moral laws. And the reason why the Ten Commandments are still in effect today is because they're not based on culture, they're not based on people's traditions. They're based on and reflect the character of God, the holiness of God, which means it goes from generation to generation. It is always in effect. It's rooted in nature. And so whenever a nation legalizes something that breaks, especially the last six commandments, there is a, uh, a judgment that comes eventually, and they start feeling it the worse it gets. So now what we're going to do is we're going to start reading the text. And I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 13 is very long, so I've only picked a few portions of this. I've skipped some parts that had to do with the names of, of people and tribes that inherited different things. It would be hours of exposition trying to go into the history of each of those tribes, what they mean in Hebrew, how does it apply today. They're very significant, but we don't have time in one message to do this. So we're going to read... Joshua chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 1, then we're going to jump to verse 6 to start. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. Verse 6, God said, I myself will drive out these people from before the children of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the tribes and half-tribe of Manasseh. Verse 12 and then 14. God said, All the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Asherah and in Idrei, he alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim, those were the giants, these Moses had struck and driven out. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Gershurites and the Makathites. But Geshur and Makath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. Verse 22. Balaam also, the son of Beor, 
the one who practiced sorcery, was killed with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. Verse 32. These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance because the Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. Just as he said to them, going back to verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years but there is much land to possess. So we see a very, very important principle there. Even if you're old and advanced in years, you still have a lot of work to do. In the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as retirement. Uh, there's no such thing as just doing nothing for God anymore. I mean, you can retire from your job, that's fine, but you should give your free time to the Lord if you retire from your job. Uh, there's no such thing as just playing golf all day and just playing poker and cards and, and that's it for the rest of your life. If you're really committed to God, when you retire from your secular job, that means you're entering a new phase of how you could serve the Lord in a higher capacity. So I love that. He said to Joshua, you're old, but there's still much more land to take. Someone say there's much more land to take. And so... This shows us that we need older people to take the land through their wisdom, through their experience, through what they've already done. We build upon the shoulders of older people. Come on, let's face it. Even though this is a generation where they glorify youth and strength and everything else that goes along with that, in the kingdom of God, it's not like sports. You're not over the hill when you're 40. In the kingdom of God, the older you get, the more wiser you could get, the more useful you could be, and the more of a coach or a mentor or a parent you could be to other people. Isn't that amazing? I love that. So the children of Israel were always multi-generational. I mean, Moses was called when he was 80 years old. Abraham had his first child with Sarah when he was 99 years old. It's amazing, isn't it? Caleb, at the age of 80, he said to Moses, I want to take this mountain. Moses didn't say to him, okay, no, no, you're too young. I mean, you're too old. Get, let some of the young guys take it and they'll give you the mountain. No, Caleb said, I'm taking the mountain. Um, I love that. Isn't that cool? Um, and so I love working out and training and doing stuff with guys 20, 30 years old. I have so much fun. I'm like a father to them, but I love keeping up with them too, to be honest with you, and showing up some of them. So uh, don't ever let your physical age give you an excuse to, uh, to give up or to lay low or to think the best years of your life are over. Or maybe the best years of your life are over for sports, maybe basketball. I mean, maybe you'll pull an Achilles heel if you go play ball. I don't know. But in the kingdom of God, the best years of your life are ahead. Isn't that great? I love it. I love getting older. You know, people are upset about getting older. And they're filling themselves with Botox and Brazilian butt lifts and this and the other thing. I mean, my God, I love getting older. I think it's great. 
And uh, I'm excited to just pour into the next generation. I just think it's amazing. So, man, if it was good enough for Moses at 80, Abraham, 99, Caleb, 80, and Joshua at this point, he was 100 years old. And God said, you still have more to do. 100 years old. He died at 110. And the Bible says about Moses and Joshua that their uh, eyes did not dim. Their strength did not abate until the Lord took them. Why? Because they were in the service of God. I have a very, very dear friend of mine. He's 94 years old, and he could still run an ultra marathon of 100 miles. Um, does everything a young person could do because he does eat the right way, by the way. That's another message. But, uh, but the point is, if you take care of yourself, you watch what you eat, and you get enough sleep, and you put God first in your life, there's no guarantee you'll live a long time because God has a different uh, requirement for every person. But the point is, there's no reason why you can't have a strong quality of life, even in your older years. Isn't that amazing? So God called Joshua at 100 years old and said, man, I know you're old. I, I like it. It's pretty funny. He says it twice. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and then God told him something like he didn't already know it. Maybe they didn't have mirrors. I don't know. He said to Joshua, you're old and advanced in years after it was just admitted he was old and advanced in years. Uh, it's funny, I, I started realizing, man, I must be old, but the young guys open doors for me now and they say, sir. They call me sir. What? People calling me sir. That started happening like five years ago, and I'm thinking, sir, who are you talking to? And, uh, and I'm used to opening doors for other people, and now they're young guys being respectful. And it's cool. I mean, it is a nice thing, but it is really strange because... I may be almost 64, but in my mind, I still think I'm like 25. Maybe one day it'll get me in trouble. I don't know. So I am excited about getting old. Resurrection Church is and has always been a multi-generational church. We've always utilized older people, younger people. Our vision is to be a strong church from the cradle to the grave. And even when people are very, very, very old. They could still make calls. There's so many things they could do to help us. Uh, we need their wisdom. We need their experience. We need their life story to be part of our story. Praise God. I love it. In verse 6, God says, I myself will drive out these people, these, these nations, from before the children of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I commanded you. So it's interesting, when we read the book of Joshua, God says, I'm going to drive them out. Yet, they weren't just sitting on their butts saying, okay, God's going to do it. There's so much passivity in the church. We think God said it, I don't have to do anything. God said, I'm going to drive them out. And yet, they didn't just sit around. They literally had a train they had a march. They had swords. They had weapons. They had to go out and do hand-to-hand -hand combat, except for uh, Jericho when they just marched around, and then God collapsed the wall and routed 
Israel's enemies. And so even though God says that we are saved, we still have to walk with him, right? We still have to confess our sins. Even though Jesus did everything for us and we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace, yet we still have to be disciplined and pray and read the word, assemble together and do what the Lord commands us to do. And so even though God positionally and legally and spiritually accomplished everything for us, we have to now walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. We walk it out because it's already been given to us. If it wasn't given to us, we couldn't walk it out. But because it's been given to us, now we can walk it out. Does that make sense? Because we're saved, we can serve God. We don't serve God to get saved. We serve God because we're saved. We don't do things for God to get God to love us. We know God loves us, and that's why we do things to him. It tells us in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. Then it says, lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so faith is the way we ascertain the promises of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So even God said, I did it for you. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. In response, you obey the word through faith and you grab the promises of God. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So we take what has been already given to us. Satan is a rebel. He fights us. He lies to us. He tries to tell us that it's not ours. He tries to tell us that we're not good enough. He tries to tell us you can't have this, you can't have that. And that's where faith comes in. And we have to believe God that whatever God's will is for our life will be accomplished, not just through knowing he did it, but by acting on it. Jesus would tell people, rise up and walk. Then they were healed as they got up. He told a man with a shriveled hand, he said, stretch it out. Well, why did he have to tell him to stretch it out? He could have just said, okay, you're healed. Don't worry, you're normal now. No, they had to act on his word. And as the man stretched out his shriveled hand, boom, it was normal. And that's how we have to look at faith. God already gave us great promises. He already drove out the land before us. He already defeated the devil. He's already given us the kingdom. He's already given us eternal life. We're already saved, but now by faith, we walk out the implications of our salvation. Bible says that Jesus shed his blood, not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. But we still have to preach the gospel. We still have to win people to Christ. How will they believe if there's no one preaching, right? And so there's always that balance between what God has done, the finished work of the cross, and what we're called to do. Verse 12 and 14, it says, All the kingdom of Og in Bashan, or Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoreth and in Adri, he alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. These Moses struck and drove out. Again, uh, Moses was the one who paid the price initially. 
His work laid the foundation. It took 40 years for God to train Moses in all the wisdom of Egypt. Then he had to go to Midian for 40 years. God had to humble him because all he was a prince. He was the next in line to be Pharaoh. He had all this wisdom, this strength. He was trained in, as a mighty warrior, warrior in fighting, and he, he slew two Egyptians at once. I mean, the guy was, he had it all, knowledge. He had looks. He had strength. But God couldn't use him that way until he was humble. So he drove him into Midian. After all of that, 80 years preparation, Moses was ready to lead all those people. And when we see that Moses drove out certain people, we find that that was repeated when Joshua is about to take new territory because God was always reminding Joshua and the Joshua generation that their success has always come on the heels of the success of their fathers and mothers before them. Everything that we do, we are building upon the shoulders of others who have paid the price, whether they paid the price in prayer, uh, whether they paid the price in labor, whether they paid the price in giving financially. The reason why we're here is because people sacrificially gave to pay off the mortgage before the collapse in 2007. We had a word from the Lord to pay it off. And there were people who gave a lot of money. There were six people who wound up giving everything that we needed to pay off the rest of the balance besides the initial monies that we got. I mean, there are people that are not here today, some who have passed on, that we are on their shoulders today. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we are never here alone. We're always here because somebody else did something for us. Someone else paved the way. And so I know I'm here because my grandmother prayed for me and her whole family for many, many years. And before she died at the age of 82, she saw her grandson preaching the gospel. And I'm sure that fulfilled her prayers, a lot of her prayers, and praying for everyone in the family. Most people in her family came to Christ. And so the success of our generation is contingent upon the success of former generations. If it wasn't for the great generation that gave their life on D-Day in World War II and gave their life in the Korean War and all these wars, we wouldn't have liberty. What about the Civil War? What about the Revolutionary War? Everything that we enjoy and we take for granted came because blood was shed, because people believed in something so great. They risked their life, their limb, their liberty. Every one of them who signed the, the documents, the Declaration of Independence and, and the Constitution, risked their life because England knew who they were, and they had a mark on their heads. And so everything that we have here is because someone else paid the price. And even if you don't know it, someone must have prayed for you, for you to be here right now. Maybe you have an ancestor that prayed for their generations. You didn't even know you had Christians in your, your biological line. There was somebody who had something to do with you being here. Because God never operates on his own. He always works through people. That's why Jesus had to become a human being. He works through human beings because only human beings had the legal right to enter into the world and bring redemption and salvation. Because Adam as a human blew it. And so we have a Joshua generation depending on the success of the Moses generation. 
That's why it tells us in the scriptures, the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you and you will live long in the earth. Father and mother, in the context of the Ten Commandments, was not just talking about biological, because in the Hebraic Jewish mindset, they were constantly referring to their spiritual fathers and mothers. Honoring your father and mother is not just your biological, but it's your spiritual mothers and fathers that have paid the price. And it says when you honor them, it will go well with you. And that's why Mother's Day and Father's Day is also important for us to pause and honor our biological and spiritual parents. And then it says in verse 6, and now he's still recounting what happened in the past, yet the people of Israel did not, I repeat, did not drive out the Geshurites and the Makathites, but Geshur and Makath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. What does that teach? A lesson for us. Every enemy we do not tackle and defeat will be left for our children to face. Every giant we don't slay, our children will have to slay. Every area in our life that we don't deal with, it's going to be dealt with some way, somehow with people in our family, spiritually and biologically. Isn't that, that's sobering, isn't it? So the tribes that Moses failed to drive out, Joshua had to deal with. And those that Joshua didn't drive out, the elders who succeeded him had to deal with. And those that they didn't drive out became a thorn. As a matter of fact, it says in Judges chapter 3, now we're talking about way after Joshua's death, Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generation of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. Some of it was because God allowed it. He doesn't want everything handed to our kids on a silver platter. Because then they won't know how to handle money. They won't know how to manage stress. They won't know how to be responsible. And so sometimes God doesn't allow the parents to conquer every giant because he wants the kids to learn how to slay giants. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In this world, we all have to slay giants. In this world, we all have to learn discipline and responsibility. And I've learned one thing about this life, whether it's my family whether it's the church, I know many business leaders, political leaders, this side of heaven, everything is not going to be perfect. Everything is not going to be accomplished before you go to be with the Lord. That's why we have to train our children and children's children, spiritual and biological, and be a model for them so that they could stand on our shoulders instead of deny they knew us because of shame. Speaking of shame, verse 22, Balaam, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. For those of you who don't know Balaam, he was once a mighty prophet of God. You can read this in Numbers chapter 23 and 24. Incredible accuracy. He was right up there with the greats. But because he loved the world... And the things of this world, he sold out his own people for money. 
and he, he lost his inheritance. And so inheritance is not guaranteed, even if you're a great preacher of the gospel, even if you're very gifted, even if you've done great things to God. We all need to finish well. You can't say, well, I've served God now, you know. And it was mentioned, you know, we started the church almost 40 years ago, right? This year it's going to be uh, January. It's going to be um, 39 years or 30. I don't, I don't even remember. I lost count. We can't say, all right, man, you know, I paid the price. I'm just going to hang out, do my do, do whatever I want to do, you know. It doesn't work that way. We're all called to finish well. So Balaam, unfortunately... Several thousand years later, instead of being known as a mighty prophet of God, this is what Jesus said to the church of Pergamon. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, he said this to the church, I have a few things against you because you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they may eat food and sacrifice to idols and practice sexual immorality. Imagine what a blight on this man. That we're still talking about him today. That he's written in scripture. And instead of being used of God as a great memory, his memory was less than noble, put it that way. And so, last but not least, in verse 14, we still got about 10 minutes left. Verse 14, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance. I love that. And then he says, verse 32, but to the tribe of Levi, he says it twice, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Levi was the priestly tribe that God chose to be in the service of God in the tent of meeting and later on in the temple that Solomon built. The honor of approaching God was so great that God says they're not given any material land. Can you imagine? What God was saying there as a precursor to the New Testament is the access they had to God was so honorable and such an honor that in comparison, there's nothing material that could even be mentioned. So pointing to today when we're all priests of the Lord and we could all access God the Father through the blood of Jesus, what a shame when we put money before God. What a shame when we put the things of this world and the lusts of this world in the same way we have to realize it's not that it's wrong for us to have money or land or anything. That was a spiritual type and shadow of what was to come. But compared to every other tribe, Levi got the best inheritance. No, none of the others did it say that their inheritance was God. They got land, but Levi got God. What was that implying? By having God as their inheritance meant that they had the honor of serving and representing God. What an honor it is when we open our mouth for God. What an honor it is when we volunteer in the church. 
What an honor it is when we pray for somebody. What an honor it is when we function as members in our family of families to help bring the gospel to the community, to help give out food with children of the city once a week and volunteer once a month for our Super Saturdays. What an honor it is that we not only could call on the Lord ourselves, but literally have the privilege of representing him, representing him to others. This is not a job. Being on, in this pulpit is a privilege, an honor. And if I could, I would pay to do this because there's no greater honor, not just preaching, but in anything you do in your job to serve the Lord and in church. What an honor. That is part of our inheritance to represent God, that God will repay us. Everything was broken up into the 12 tribes, given to them as an inheritance. Even though they were one nation, they had 12 tribes, similar to the body of Christ today. We have various expressions of the church. You have the evangelical church. You have the charismatic church. You have the orthodox church, the Anglican church, Methodist, Baptist, Roman Catholic. And in all those churches is a true remnant of people who really love God. Just because you're Roman Catholic doesn't mean you're a real Christian. Just because you're Pentecostal doesn't mean you're a real Christian. You need to have that relationship with God. But it's similar to these 12 tribes. Uniformity does not mean conformity to the will of God. And that's why every local church has its own soul, its own calling. You're not called to every local church. There is a local church that is home, it's family. And if you go somewhere else, it just don't fit right. Not that they're not a good church, it just doesn't seem right. I've had offers to pastor other churches in my earlier days. And just like, for what? This is my family, right? And we have to ask ourselves the question, who is our family? Who's my spiritual father and mother? Where do I belong? And so there are expressions of God's church. It doesn't mean it's division. A denomination is not bad. It just means a Christian expression is denominated or distinct. They focus more on a certain aspect of God's word and God's character. But we have to make sure that we are participating in the body, building up our local church by everything we do. It's not just belonging to a church by coming on Sunday. The 12 tribes all had to work hard. Not only did they take the land, but they all had to function as families to make it healthy. And in Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we grow up, talking about the church, in every way unto him who is the head. I literally grow when you speak into me, when I hear the word of God from you, when you speak the truth. Sometimes it's not quoting scripture. It could just be giving advice, counsel. And then it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by what every joint supplies, when each part works properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I need you, you need me. 
We need each other the same way the 12 tribes did. We have a different calling and distinct, unique personality and contribution, each one of us in the church. Each local church has a distinct calling and contribution to a community. And the body of Christ has various expressions which magnify the glory of God. That's why it's wrong when we put other denominations down. Now, if they're not preaching the gospel or they're preaching things that are against the Bible, it's okay to say, hey, man, that's not of God. But it's never right to just criticize a person because they belong to a different denomination or church. That, isn't, that does not please God. It just shows immaturity. And so some questions we have to ask ourselves as we wrap this up and... I've got to run. I'm preaching in Staten Island if I ever get there with traffic on Father's Day. What does it mean in your world that God would give you himself as an inheritance? What does that mean to you, that God is your inheritance? That's a key question. When was the last time you thanked God for what he's given you, what you have right in front of you? If you're a single person, that's a gift. You have the freedom to be single. If you're married, your gift from God is your spouse. If you have children, the Bible says that children are in heritage from the Lord. Whatever stage and station of life you have, whatever challenges you have, God has given it and allotted it to you so that you could overcome in his name, so you could bring glory to him. And we could build on the shoulders of other people. Let's be like Joshua, who at the end of his life was known as a servant of the Lord. That's the highest honor. I pray that my epithet, at my, if ever I'm buried and there is a, a monument there mentioning who I was, I hope and pray it says, here lies Joseph Matera a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll die happy if that's what people think about me or say about me when I'm gone. Joshua died, and he was known as a servant of the Lord. Paul called himself a servant of the Lord. No greater honor. Either you got to, as Bob Dylan, the great poet, said, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's all stand up. I'm going to ask Pastor Victor to pray and close this out as I've got to make haste. I love you. Powerful message. Ideal for a spiritual father to deliver a message like that. I don't know about you, but I, it caused me to reflect and think about my own children. And not only my biological children, the men that poured into in my walk with the Lord. And I think back of the men that poured into me. You know, uh, Talking 29 years ago, 
I surrendered my life to Christ and uh, never looked back. But there was a sacrifice that was made before that. It was my praying grandfather that years later I got a hold. My cousin had his old Bible that my uncle, his son had. And I was looking through it and I seen highlight and markings with a pen. Father to the fatherless. Praying in markings in Spanish. Lord, bless my children. And those tears that I used to see him cry on the pages of the Bible. And I used to wonder what was wrong with him. I run to my grandmother. She said, don't pay no mind to your grandfather. He's just a crazy old man. But that didn't detour me. I just went back and just watched my grandfather pray on his knees. That left an impact in me. I share that because I know by the Spirit of the Lord that this message has left an impact in you. It's caused you to ponder and think. Now, if you've never even... you have never even taken that first step and saying, Lord, I want to surrender my life to you so that I may know you like Bishop knows you, so that I may know you like everyone else that's following you knows you. If that's you, today could be the day on Father's Day, 2022, where you could begin that journey for you in your life so that in turn, your children don't have to deal with the challenges that you're challenging, being challenged with. Like Bishop said, you could slay those giants so your children won't have to. Amen? Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for loving us, Lord, and allowing us to Father, have the privilege to have the freedom and the liberty to come here today and listen to your word. Our lives weren't threatened to enter these doors as is in countries. Father, perhaps it was easy. We woke up, we just got dressed and decided to come to church. We have freedoms and liberties that other people don't have. Lord, that we would recognize, Lord, how blessed we are to be able to worship you and seek you and find you. So if you're here, either in person or watching online, and if you've never surrendered your life, to God and say, Lord, I want Jesus to be the author and finisher of my faith. I want Jesus to lead me in my life. If that's you, just pray with me right now. Everybody join me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I make a choice today to surrender my life to you. Take me as I am. 
shape me and mold me into the person you want me to be. I make a choice to receive Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. Amen. If that's you and you want additional prayer, I ask the leaders to come on up. And you need prayer, come, we'll pray with you. If you're watching online, make a note in your chat. If you want someone to reach out to you, reach out to us. We'll connect you if you don't live in the area. We'll connect you to what, to what a Bible-believing church. But if you are living in the area, you're more than welcome to come here and rest church. And for those of you who are here, if this message ministered to you and need, you need prayer of any kind, come on up as the worship team comes up and sings us a song and closes it out for us. So, Father, we just thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at ResChurchNYC. Take care and God bless.